Welcome. This is Coppercasts, a show dedicated to exploring the wonderful, if somewhat technical, world of institutional investment in crypto assets. I'm your host, Tyler Kenyon, and our guest today is Tanya Reef, CIO of Senda Digital Assets, a US-based investment fund focused on quantum strategies for diversified and risk-managed exposure in the digital asset space. Welcome, Tanya. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thank you for being here. So you've, you've got quite um, like a, a long and interesting history in the traditional finance side of things uh, before getting into crypto. So just walk us through a little bit of what you were doing before that led you to send it uh, eventually. Yeah, I like to start my history saying I grew up in Venezuela. So from a very young age, I experienced many, many, many currency crises. And that actually uh, is what motivated me to study currency crisis. I ended up coming to New York to do a PhD in economics and currency dynamics. That was my dissertation. I ended up working at the International Monetary Fund initially. From there, I moved to Citigroup. And from 2009 onwards, I've been in macro hedge funds trading currencies and interest rates. When the crypto Bitcoin really came uh, to the forefront, it was a uh, something as an effects uh, specialist that was of uh, high interest to me. I thought it was an interesting experiment. It was fun, it was promising, it was exciting, but it was too early in the early days for me to uh, take it seriously. I didn't really understand it properly and I didn't really uh, know how much uh, uh, inroads it was gonna be able to make. But as time went on, um, and the community grew, and I started to teach myself about it. Um, I got more and more excited about the possibilities, about the innovation and the technology around it. And it was really after 2020 uh, when the uh, pandemic gave really way for all the central banks around the world to inject a huge amount of liquidity that I knew that was going to be a very big tailwind for the crypto asset class that already had grown into a much more formal ecosystem. And that's when I realized that I could get into the space really uh, formally to uh, start a fund and help investors navigate the asset class. Um, I have to say that in my case, I was very comfortable with my background on macroeconomics, my background on currencies, my background on risk management, but I needed that security and that confidence on the technology side. And this is where I'm lucky because I was joined by my brother, who's a developer for more than 20 years. And uh, together, the two of us began to uh, study um, the technology side. Actually, I should say he taught me about the technology side of things. And when he got very bullish on the technology, and I was very bullish on the macro and the uh, financial inclusion prospects of the uh, ecosystem, together we decided that we have everything it takes to uh, help investors navigate this ecosystem and um, we decided to uh, give it a shot. So that's when uh, um, we uh, quit our uh, jobs and, uh, and, and started with uh, Senda Digital Assets. And where does Senda get its name from? So Senda is a name for path in Spanish. So in my mind, it's the path to crypto. So we hope to open that path for uh, investors. That's interesting. So I, a lot of people, I think, when they when they leave a you know successful career in traditional finance or or in your brother's case, um, like software development, 
it's a it's a leap of faith, and they end up having to explain to their family, you know, why they're doing this. But it sounds like in your case, you know, they were already on board from the beginning. Well, my brother was on board. I'm not sure about the rest of the family. <laughs> they did need a lot of explanation. I think they still do. Yeah. <laughs> um, look, I think it is a, a, a technology that promises a lot of innovation, a lot of disruption, a lot of very exciting things, but it is not easy to understand. And getting involved in it without fully understanding it is very scary. So that's why most investors are skeptical. They're looking at it from the sidelines. And I think rightly so. I think they need to have a team that helps them navigate this, that helps them vet all these different tokens, coins, protocols properly. We actually saw the consequences of not doing that properly this last quarter. It's important that you understand both the financial soundness of these algorithms and the technological soundness of these algorithms. And that's why both of us as a team can do this well for investors. The idea that an investor can have a full-time job and then sit down on Sunday mornings and invest in crypto is not advisable because it is a very nascent ecosystem. It has a lot of promising, a lot of promising technologies, a lot of promising protocols, but there's also a lot of fraud, a lot of Ponzi schemes, a lot of unsustainable things. So you want to make sure that you are well advised, that you have someone looking at your portfolio with care and that helps you navigate this properly so you can take advantage of the venture type returns on these liquid tokens and avoid the scams and the unsustainable uh, uh, things and the uh, uh, overlevered uh, funds and things like that. So proper risk management, proper vetting is paramount, and that's what we are here for. And I mean, Sand is quite young in the grand scheme of things. Yes, a, a year and a half old. Or well, year. not really, actually. I, about uh, last summer, we started to put it together, but we actually launched on April first. So we launched in the worst quarter <laughs> in the history of the crypto index. I'm uh, I'm happy to say that uh, we've done very well. Uh, and but, what kind of? Um, I mean, you must have been facing some immediate hard questions from investors. Absolutely, and I think those questions are welcome, and that's the questions that they should be asking. Uh, we need to understand why this happened. We need to understand what is right about the crypto asset class, what is wrong about the crypto asset class, and there is a lot of right and a lot of wrong. So we need to be able to tell right from wrong. We need to make amends uh, as a community on the crypto ecosystem, on things that are detrimental to us. Uh, but we also need to recognize all the good things that are happening and take advantage of those and grow those. And I think uh, if we learn the proper lessons from what just happened, I think there are a lot of very sexy opportunities ahead. Uh, so we are uh, we are ready to uh, uh, to take them on. So in those in, in your like show and tell piece for us, you, I mean you, you broke those down for us, but we didn't really get time to unpack them all. Those those three key lessons that we can kind of take away from this most recent sort mm. of upheaval. So can, can we go through those again now for us? Because I, I really like the way you explained the, you know, that it's not a technology failing, it's basically a, a people failing. Yeah, the, so the, the first thing actually, perhaps we can start with that one, with mm. the technology piece. Um, for a lot of people that don't understand the crypto ecosystems, they could say, well, look, you know, the, uh, that technology was no good in the you know, first place, these were just uh, uh, Ponzi schemes, etc. So you can build an algorithm 
that is unsustainable and it's Ponzi scheme alike. And we have seen those. And there are actually uh, uh, coins that have been outright frauds. They don't even have uh, a blockchain when they claim they do and things like that. Um, that doesn't mean that in this second quarter drawdown that we saw, it was a technology failure. The Terra Luna peg unraveling that we just saw in May of this year, this was not thanks to a bug, a hack, uh, any technology failure of any kind. The underlying technology was working just as it should be. The underlying blockchains were working just as it should have. The problem was not on the technology side. The problem was on the financial architecture design of that algorithm that was unsustainable from a financial standpoint. And what I like to draw parallels is from the Terra Luna peg to an emerging market peg where a sovereign emerging market country, which we have seen many, many times over the years, tries to fix the value of their currency to the US dollar. And they offer very attractive yields to attract investors to the country or to keep locals invested in the country. And they don't have uh, sufficient revenue streams to support the yield they're offering. On top of that, they have very insufficient reserves to defend the peg should they have a run. So when the eventual run happens, because the yield is unsustainable and the reserves are insufficient, then the peg blows up. We have seen that in Latin America. We have seen that, of course, in my country, Venezuela, Argentina. We have seen that in Africa, Nigeria. We have seen that in Egypt. We have seen that in Asia. This is not a new thing. These are not new financial dynamics. We have seen that in traditional markets many, many times. And we just saw a very similar dynamic that followed the script just the same in the crypto space. So this is not an issue of technology. This is an issue of an unsustainable currency dynamic that we have seen many times and we just should avoid getting involved in traditional markets or in crypto markets in any unsustainable peg. It's almost like a, a human psychology question, then, right? Like, I mean, if, if these issues, if these problems are so known because we've done them before in traditional so many times, how come, like, how come we're not avoiding them in crypto? Do you get a sense of Well, uh, because I don't think people were vetting these things appropriately. I think uh, the advertising that you could get a 20% yield that had no volatility and that was safe was of course very appealing. I mean, who wants to go to the ups and downs of the volatility of the crypto asset class if you can just sit there, have no volatility and clip 20% per year when the actual interest rates in the rest of the world at the time were like close negative, to zero, yeah. right? In some cases, <laughs> negative, right? So that's very sexy, that's very appealing and you, know, you just wanna park it there and once uh, everybody else is doing it, you're just jumping in the bandwagon without looking, without asking where is that yield coming from? And that's where the vetting is very important and people need to ask, is the source of yield sustainable? And what was happening, and not only in this case, but other uh, protocols within the crypto ecosystem, is that they were subsidizing this yield. And when you're subsidizing this yield, you're going to ask, well, where's the subsidy coming from? And you want to see how deep are the pockets of whoever is providing that subsidy. And those normally are limited pockets. So if you don't have a sustainable source of revenue to support that yield, eventually those pockets are going to run out. And when they do, the peg is going to blow up. So forward looking, what I hope everybody involved in crypto does is do not take the advertisement of no volatility, safe yield for granted, do your homework, 
check what's behind it. And if you don't know how to check and how, you know, how to do the proper vetting, just you know, give your money to someone that can do it for you. Do, you. do you find that there's enough people coming into the space, I guess enough smart people coming into the space that, you know, going forward, we're less likely to have issues like this because proper vetting will be done, like risk management governance will be introduced in a more sophisticated manner and it'll protect the whole ecosystem. Look, I think human beings are human beings. Um, I think uh, it's not a matter of intelligence. I think it's a matter of taking the time and effort to do your homework. I think there are a lot of smart people out there that just didn't bother checking what's were, what was happening behind the rug. And they just assumed um, that, that it was good, which is actually the other part of, part of my point. So that for, the, for the technology skeptics, this was not a technology failure. But for the technology lovers, this is not black magic. Technology is great. Innovation is fantastic. This is opening a lot of doors, the crypto ecosystem is. But it is not black magic in the sense that they're not going to generate yield out of thin air. So yield has to come from somewhere. It's not just going to you know, appear. <laughs> so this is where, even if you're smart, even if you understand the technology, at the end of the day, you want to ask yourself, just as in traditional markets, where is that yield coming from and why is it so high and is it sustainable? If it's not, whether it's an emerging market bond or whether it is a crypto stablecoin or crypto whatever, if it's not sustainable, it's not sustainable. And human beings will always try to offer unsustainable things and there's always going to be you know, people that are not doing their homework investing in it. So hopefully we'll do less of that, but uh, th this is a warning. It, it's you, bound to happen again in my do, view. Do you think crypto has like a, a hangover from the retail FOMO explosion of 2017 when crypto really became a household name? and everyone is addicted to the concept of moon or just, you know, an asset going from zero to a thousand overnight. Well, I think what is, part of what is attractive and different in the crypto asset class is that you can get that venture type returns in a publicly traded token that, or coin, token or coin, I normally call them tokens, I know there's a difference, but it's easier to just refer them like that. Um, you get venture type returns, it's public, and you can just buy a fraction of it, you can buy $1,000, before, venture-type returns were really reserved for venture investments of millions of dollars or at least hundreds of thousands of dollars in, uh, in, in, in transactions that the regular retail could not afford to participate. Um, because of the nature of the crypto technology, that is something people can participate in. And of course, it's very attractive. But again, even though you can participate in some of these tokens or coins and get really attractive venture type returns on the good quality ones that are really trying to do innovative, disruptive new technology, you also can get scammed. So the fact that, that high returns are there is not something against it, it's actually something exciting and cool about it, but you need to vet these things before you get in. Um, that's what's important. Um, if there's one message from this conversation is perhaps because we're talking right after this big collapse in the second quarter uh, of 2022 is that you have to bet the technology, you have to bet the macro, you have to bet, bet the financial soundness. Betting is important. Um, but, returns are exciting, but not without betting. So vetting, I mean, it obviously important, but it requires huge amounts of data, for instance. And do you find that 
that's accessible to you guys as, at Senda when you're trying to do your vetting? Or yeah. are there still like questions that you just can't answer because the data is not there and if well, it was a more advanced ecosystem it would be like yeah what, of course there is well there are a few things um we try to get as much information as we can um we do as much deep dives and due diligence as we can a lot of the on-chain data is free and on-chain and accessible to everyone so if you bother to take a look it's there so the information is there and if for some reason we are looking at a particular project and we don't find enough data, we don't find the white paper, it's obscure and we don't understand it, we tend to stay away from that until we understand it better. Of course, we're never going to understand everything perfectly, but we try to do the best we can and that's what we believe we can do better than the average investor trading on their living room on Sunday afternoon. Um, we can actually do that as best as possible. And what, what other sort of elements do you find are, are sort of missing from the digital asset ecosystem right now that would mature it and in, invite more investment from you know traditional finance or more conservative allocators like pension funds or whatever? There are a lot of, uh, first of all, people need to understand the technology. People need to understand why the things that we just saw happen happened and how can we avoid them? How can we vet these things properly? Um, we need to make inroads on the regulatory side. Uh, we need to have people comfortable with the custody side. So there are a lot of things that need to happen for institutions to be comfortable. But I can tell you, a lot of institutions are already looking into it. They are curious. I think those that have done their due diligence can see that there is a lot of a new and exciting investment opportunities, but that it needs to be done uh, with proper risk management and with proper vetting. So I think this is, um, as you're a young fund, um, you've been an observer of the space for quite a while, but as a fund, yep. this is your first bear market. Um, yep. what, what opportunities do you see coming out of this bear market versus maybe what you saw happening in 2018, 2019? Yeah, I think that um, we have a lot more diverse field of potential investment opportunities. And what we saw, especially in June, because in May we had the Terra Luna uh, peg unravel, but in June that actually really brought into a deleveraging episode in the whole ecosystem because we had you know the big uh, funds and the big crypto lenders declare bankruptcy and people scramble for liquidity all the blue chip uh, cryptos got sold and pretty much everything got sold the good and the bad so now i think we are in oversold territory i think that it is time to look at those opportunities that we think are high quality opportunities that are trading at very cheap prices and begin to carefully uh, take positions in them. I think there may be still some uh, liquidation uh, of assets ahead of us. I don't know that um, everything is uh, cleared up yet. And of course we have some macroeconomic uncertainty still ahead of us, uh, but, but it starts to look here like a very good entry point for some of the good quality opportunities. What about some of the other things that have been sort of flashy or catchy in the crypto space over the past couple of years? Like 2020, we had like DeFi summer and then 2021 was, you know, everyone went crazy for uh, NFTs. Do you guys do you guys watch that as well, or are you more concerned with you know the fundamental protocols that you know have been around for a while and are more established? No, we do look at DeFi uh, space. We look at metaverse space, which is also very sexy in twenty twenty one. We do not look at NFTs. Those are very 
particular, different uh, than to, than what we do. Um, but we uh, we do look at a broad, you know, smart contracts and 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 DeFi and metaverse and uh, you know file storage and data and you know, basically as diversified as we can um, after we vet these things properly. Uh, we have a market cap cut of, of about two billion, um, depending of course on market conditions, could be a little lower or a little higher. Uh, but the idea is we want to keep the fund liquid. Uh, we, have, we offer quarterly liquidity. This is a fund of, uh, that builds a diversified portfolio of publicly traded uh, tokens and coins. And uh, we offer quarterly liquidity, so we want to keep um, only investing in, in liquid um, uh, assets that we can so I guess that, that, that sort of um, depends a little bit on the, the exchange ecosystem as well. How, how do you guys find, you know, the quality and the prevalence of exchanges in crypto? Look, I think there's room for improvement, <laughs> but it's moving. <laughs> <laughs> but it's moving fast. Yeah. It's moving fast. There is a lot of interest. There is a lot of new entrants. There is a lot of improving technology in the exchanges that currently exist. There is a lot of goodwill from the crypto ecosystem to grow together and make this work. So yes, I think there there's there's a long way to go, but uh, but for what we do is sufficiently up to speed that we can manage the fund successfully. I like your optimism and for the space. It's <laughs> the positivity. It's good because we, we don't always have those conversations, but this is, this is encouraging. So, I mean, maybe before we go into the questions that we just sort of ask everyone, um, uh -huh. what, what gives you the most hope? What's the most exciting thing about crypto right now? There are a lot of exciting things about crypto. You have all the um, metaverses opening the space for, say, um, galleries and concerts. You have DeFi with borrowing and lending. Um, you have the debate about digital gold in uh, Bitcoin and so on. Um, but I think that coming from an emerging market, um, financial inclusion is a big one. And getting to the uh, unbanked population around the world is going to be uh, disruptive and it's going to be very welcome. And in some countries, um, the ability to actually have crypto assets as opposed to the local currency, when that local currency is not managed properly, is going to be of high value, assuming um, the, the locals manage to get a hold of crypto, which is not always easy in some of these countries, but uh, people find ways. I think that has the potential to be disruptive and it's uh, very exciting. That it's very said, early, right? Though, I mean, it is I very think, early. I mean, yes. the IMF must be watching what's happening in El Salvador very closely. Well, I don't mean to replace the. So, El Salvador is doing an experiment. One thing is to have a part of your reserves in Bitcoin, and we can argue whether that's a good or a bad idea. Um, the other is to force businesses in the local country to accept Bitcoin as a form of payment. And that I don't think is such a great idea because one thing is you, know, you may want to purchase some Bitcoin individually as a store of value. Maybe you think you know, in some of these emerging markets they have sufficient volatility in their own currencies that using um, Bitcoin as a store of value is actually attractive. Maybe that's something the central bank wants to do for whatever reason. That's something for debate. What I don't think is viable 
is to force, say, a coffee shop owner to accept Bitcoin as payment or a store owner because the volatility at this point is so, so high that it makes it impossible for them to run their finances appropriately like that. Uh, so the, the fact that people within a country um, are free to access crypto, I think is a good thing. If you force them to accept crypto, I don't think it's so good. I don't think we're ready for that. So it's very nuanced how to... So it's a bit of a longer running experiment then. So led by the people, you know, give them access. And then, you know, if they put the demands on the, on the yeah, store... Yeah, give them choice. Yeah. If they want to accept crypto, if they want to accept Bitcoin, if they want to use it, if, you know, that's, that's fine. I mean, properly regulated and so on. Forcing them, I think it's not the right thing. It's just too volatile at this point in time. Okay. Um, we have about 10 questions we ask everyone who comes on the show. It's sort okay. of like a quick fire thing. So you don't <laughs> have to think too much about it. Just, just let us know your thoughts. So <laughs> the first one is where do you see the crypto industry in one year versus 10 year? And we can be more specific if you, if you want to say like institutional crypto in one year versus 10 years. One year is too early. Maybe there's a little bit of inroads. I don't know. In 10 years, I'm pretty sure a lot of institutions are going to be involved. If you could change one thing about the industry, what would you change? I think that we have to be a lot more careful on taking leverage and on pretending that we can offer a yield uh, with no risk. Uh, people need to understand that that's not something that is safe and better risk management for sure is needed. Is there a piece of technology in your own life that you couldn't live without? My phone. <laughs> what does your weekend look like when you're not running a, a fledgling hedge fund? What, what are you doing for fun? Go for walks, exercise, barbecue with friends, go dancing, eating. <laughs> Sounds like a good weekend. Um, are there any films that you could watch over and over again and never get tired of? <laughs> There's probably many, but the one that comes to mind is Groundhog Day. Oh, classic. <laughs> Okay. Um, do you have any catchphrases or mottos that you live by? You control the inputs, but not the output. Uh, I don't know if you're popular on uh, crypto Twitter, but uh, who should we follow on Twitter? I don't really use much Twitter. That's probably healthy. Okay. <laughs> uh, what was the last thing that surprised you? Since we're talking about crypto, I, I think the amount of people involved in Anchor clipping yields without awareness of the risk of that unraveling. Who's the next guest we should have on our show? <laughs> have you had Caitlin Long? No, that would be She's a good, fantastic. Yeah, that's a good show, yeah. Do you know her? No, I mean, I, I have a selfie with her. We met briefly when she came to the uh, Crypto Mondays in Greenwich, but I don't know her personally. Okay, <laughs> um, okay last question. If you somehow got to meet Satoshi, but you only got to ask one question. <laughs> what do you want to know? Or maybe what do you think your brother would want to know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's probably a better question. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess what he had in mind, he or they had in mind when they came up with this, like what problem were they trying to solve and um, you know, how far did they think it could go? And I think... I think I can probably guess, but um, 
It'd yeah. be good to hear it from the horse's mouth. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Tanya, thank you very much for being here with us today. I've enjoyed thank the conversation. <laughs> thank you. That was fun. And to our listeners, if you haven't already seen Tanya's show and tell video, please go to our YouTube page or you can find it on Twitter at CopperHQ or on our website, copper.co forward slash insights. There you can also sign up for our newsletter, which includes links to all the week's top stories, as well as any updates from the wider team here at Copper. If you've enjoyed listening to the show, please give us a good review on whichever streaming platform you're using. And if you want to get in touch, you can always reach me, Tyler, on Twitter at CryptoTSK, or you can email me directly, tyler.kenyon at copper.co. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, or if you know somebody who should be, give us a shout. We're here to talk all things institutional crypto. And of course, this show is only made possible because of the technical and creative wizardry of Tally Spear with support from Maley Mountfort, Eva Lila, and Kate Light. New episodes come out weekly, and in the meantime, stay safe. Oh.